Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to another podcast, uh, Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health health podcast uh so today i'm trying out a new platform uh we're in the midst of COVID 19 and with social isolating we're now going internet to internet and uh my first guest internet to internet is uh nick teichman is that how you say last name teichman teichman nick teichman thanks for joining me mate thank you for having me i'm really looking forward to it Oh, that that's good. That's good. It's going to be, um, <clears throat> well, I know a lot of your story, probably don't know all of it. Um, so Nick and I met in the Victoria Mental Health Clinic um, in, uh, in the end of November, start of December in 2019. Uh, so I'm, I was, I think you were the first person I actually introduced myself to. Yeah, no, I remember remember talking. I think we just spoke because we were both wearing cricket tops and uh, kind of was the reason that we started chatting to each other. Yeah, I thought you were a flog from Templeton. So. Yeah, there's no play this season out there and, um, <laughs> and you were wearing a mural bar top or something. So, um, yeah. Gave me a reason to chat. Yeah, um, and you were sweating sweating up a storm. You just started a workout. So, um, you sort of clicked there as well because that was part of the reason I was in there is to try and uh, start working out again. Yes, no. Um, that was the best thing about that place. Uh, it was a lot of facilities and a lot of time to, to work on your physical health as well, as, long, as well as your mental health. But it was um, yeah. a really good good thing for the physical health side of, side of things. So usually I'd start the story uh, at the start, but I'm going to ask the question for you and then probably work back to the start is – what made you enter into the facility? What was it that got to? What was it that enabled you to get to that point where you you needed that help? Um, well, I, I'd hit rock, rock bottom last year um, after many years, and and rock bottom was lost my job and um, and kind of came open to friends and family about some stuff that I've been going through. And we tried several several ways of kind of getting through it with some help and therapy. And um, there was moments where it was working, moments when it wasn't working. But um, ultimately, I was still not well, and I was I needed probably full full time care and full time help. And um, I, I wasn't my decision to go. I, I certainly didn't go in kicking and screaming, but I, I certainly didn't want to go. Um, but it was uh, it was an amazing experience and it was probably the best thing for me and it definitely definitely was a huge part of what changed my life really so yeah and no, I, I can i can vouch for that and we'll, we'll go into your story a lot more but the person i met at the start um actually i met you even though you just don't work it you're still there's still a lot of anxiety you could see in you um but week by week you just changed dramatically. And we, I said that to you and even some of the others said that to you. We could see the change in you happening in the way you um, showed yourself towards us and the way, just the way you acted. You just became more confident and more authentic. There was obviously struggles there, but um, you could see a lot of the, 
that negative emotion being flushed out week by week. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I know actually on my last day, it was quite funny. Um, on my last day, I kind of left two or three hours after I needed to leave. Um, I kind of, <laughs> I, I was actually enjoying my time there towards the end. Um, yeah. And there was kind of a sense of, well, this is actually really good. And um, I remember I had to leave at 10 o'clock and ended up staying till about two o'clock because there was, you know, a good lunch on and, and I enjoyed hanging out with the people there. I started making some close friends um, such as yourself and stuff. And um, leaving was kind of a little bit scary, but uh, I, I certainly, and like you said, my family, my friends, um, the one closest to me could tell as well that I was improving and, and I could tell I was improving and it was, um, it was a nice feeling. Absolutely. So we will go back to the start of your life. Um, what, where did you, where were you born? Where did you start growing up? Um, what do you remember of that <clears throat> time of your life? Yeah. So my, my, um, my, some of my friends will know a bit about my upbringing, my life. Um, and it's something that I never really shared with a lot of people, um, because it never really was a factor in any of my problems. But now that it probably is an underlying reason as to why I had some, you know, mental health issues, um, I think it's relevant now to kind of talk openly about it. Not that I was ashamed or, or scared of it, um, but it's just something that you know, I just didn't talk about much. And so I was born, I was born here in Melbourne at the Mercy Hospital, the old Women's Mercy Hospital. Um, and I don't really have any memories of my childhood. Um, however, when I was young, I could recall a lot of things. And um, I found I had, you know, parents that weren't together and weren't married and, um, alcoholics and, and drunks and um, drug users. Um, though towards when I was brought into the world, my mum became very good, um, but she was suffering a lot as well. And um, they had a not great relationship, abuse and, and stuff like that. And I witnessed some things. I don't remember them now because I think they're just hidden away somewhere. But um, my, my biological father lived in Tasmania, and, <clears throat> pardon me, and um, – in uh, in in June July um, of nineteen ninety nine, he was coming up for a visit, and um, unfortunately, this is one of the things I do remember. And and um, my mum had a mixture of antidepressants and alcohol, and and um, and died on the table. And and I woke up in the middle of the night and came to grab something. And you know, I was only th- just turned four years old, so I didn't really know much about death, and I certainly didn't know what it was. And um, I was trying to wake her up and she wouldn't wake up. And I remember sitting under the table for about, well, I'd say two, three hours and then went back to bed because I didn't know what to do. And then came and wake up in the morning and, and, um, and started banging on the door and banging on the door until someone finally heard. And, and then, um, you know, from there I kind of, that was, that was obviously the last memory I had with my mum and it never really, um, there was never really much more to talk about. It was, um, or remember that was, that was it really. Um, yeah. mm, that was the start. So that, yeah. That, and I didn't even actually know that part to the story. Yeah. Like I said, it's, 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 a, it's a very, I, I keep it very quiet. Um, because I tell people and I used to find when I was probably still kind of at the end of my high school years and, and, um, and, 
like just finishing high school. And even, I remember still even telling my, my girlfriend, like my now girlfriend still, and um, you know, I'm telling her family and everyone's crying there as I'm telling the story. And I just have this kind of blank face about it because it doesn't really affect me as much. Well, I didn't think it affected me at the time. Um, yeah. And so I found it quite uncomfortable telling people because I found that people would get um, more upset about it than I would. Um, which yeah, I found yeah. not, not, not a nice feeling. So like you said, you didn't even know that. And I kept that very quiet. Um, absolutely. That was the start. Mm. Yes. Um, so after that time now, you probably don't remember how emotional or whatever, because as you said, you, you didn't understand what was happening really um, as most four-year-olds wouldn't. No, um, I didn't. And it's, I, I met, you know, my my dad now, who I still live with, and he he met my mum through foster care family. And um, uh, and about two weeks before my mum died, he, she actually went to Mark, my dad, and said, if anything happens to me, um, please make sure that he doesn't go to my biological father. Um, yeah. And so that was, a, to make a, a long story short, uh, about a three-year process, 50 court cases, battles between my dad and my non-biological dad. And, and um, I went to different foster families and everything like that, and I didn't know really what was going on. And um, Back then, DHS, it was very, very hard to give custody of a kid to someone that's not biologically related. Um, yeah. And so they gave my my biological dad an ultimatum that you can stay off drugs for a year. Um I'm his essentially, and yeah, I think he lasted three weeks. Um, yep. And then, you know, custody went to my my dad, and, um, who I still live with, and, and my biological dad, who I didn't really have much of a relationship with. He passed away when I was about ten um, in Tasmania, um, just through probably destroying his body over a long period of time. Um, yeah. So and so you you sp- you speak about your mum and yeah um, biological dad. You, you spoke to me a bit in hospital a few times about there being a history of um, generations of suicides. Um, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, so my, my, my whole biological tree is pretty much both sides as well um, has has had that, um, which is which is hard-hitting when you find that out. Um, and, you know, the next, um, you know, from about the age of seven to – 21 life was pretty good um and this is what you know got so tough for me is I, I lived a normal life um i went to primary school had a good bunch of friends went to one of the best schools in the country um met some great friends there as well and and school was pretty good um and life was pretty good so i didn't suffer really um for a long time actually um and you know, we probably should uh, give a shout out to your to your dad um, because I've met him and you've spoken so highly about him um, continuously that you know he gave you probably a life that it's, at one stage you would never have have had a chance to have lived. Absolutely, um, my well, it's not not probably definitely. Um, there's no way I would have grown up in that. You know, I'm not saying I would have been a bum living, but my mum. She, from all accounts of what I heard, she really did care and want to try and she became quite sober and, and did it for quite a while during my early yeah. early years. So, look, I wouldn't have gone to Wesley, but 
um, I wouldn't have been on the streets. I don't think, I think I would have, um, I think I would have had a loving, caring single mum, and, you know, we would have got by with what we got by, but, um, without any disrespect of, you know, losing your parents, um, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for, um, the family I got brought into. I had great grandparents, um, I got 12, 12 cousins, um, 12, 13, I can't remember actually. Um, you know, three, three aunties, two uncles, and um, a big, loving, caring family. Um, that I still remember the first day I met them when when my mum was still alive. Mark, my dad, took me down to, to Flinders, where my family, where he grew up, and where my family's from. And um, I still remember that first day like it's yesterday. Um, uh, and I was very grateful with the life that I, family that I got brought up into. Absolutely. And they say, they do say that you do remember um, the way people make you feel. Uh, so there's a clear indication that right from the start they made you feel welcomed um, and like you were one of their own, really. Yeah, I, I've um, always, um, you know, I, ne- I never changed my, my surname, which was something that, you know, was considered for a long time, but I thought it was a respectful thing to keep my surname as my mum's because that's who I am. Um, but there's also a massive part of me that is a Stevens, which is the family name of, of my dad's and, and, um, the principles and the morals and, and the way that I've been brought up as a person, um, is definitely, um, was in line with that family value, which was, you know, everyone, and you need to have those family values. I think, because if you don't, yeah. it's quite tough. Um, you know, you really can struggle, but, uh, yeah. So what age did uh, Mark adopt you? So it was at seven. I think I just turned seven. Um, yeah. But it was the, it was when I was six, the Christmas of when I was six. So I think it was 2000. Um, and I've been chopping and changing with all these families and, and some families I'm still friends with and we still see them. Um, family friends still see them well, a couple of times a year. And my dad just pulled me aside and said, uh, my dad pulled them aside and, and everyone aside and said, look, it's Christmas time. This kid's gone through hell and back for the last two and a half years. Um, give him, let me have him for a couple of weeks. Let's just give him a couple of weeks of one family and, and, and you know, what's the worst that can happen? And all the other families um, agreed, the ones I'm so close with. And apparently that was the happiest I'd been in those, pretty much since my mum died. And um, that was pretty much the ultimate the turning point in the court case um, when um, when everyone saw just the happiest I'd been and they said, well, we can't take this away from him. Um, he's just yeah. coming to the courtroom, a different person. Um, and uh, yeah, so I turned seven by the time I leg- legally became adopted to my, to my dad and, and, and that's my dad and I call him dad um, and I have ever since and I, I will continue to do so. Yeah, and, and you did... No, I'll vouch for that. You did in hospital for the first, oh, for the whole time. But I didn't know any of this story probably until 10, 12 days into when we met. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah. Because it, it is your dad. And there's, I always, you know, I'm so very thankful I've had my parents here. But I don't believe that your parents are, have to necessarily be the people that um, brought you into the world. It's the people that raise you. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's, that's it, the moral fibers that you grow up with, yeah. 
yeah, the, that's that's the title of a mum and dad for me. Um, it's the people that, that raise you growing up. Um, so w- whatever role that might be. Um, so you you did go to Wesley College, and you know you touched on that your schooling was great, everything was great from sort of seven to twenty one. Is that is that the whole the whole time it was just you know you look in and Nick is this happy lucky sporty guy I'll say sporty because you're obviously good at sport <laughs> I I think so I think looking back on it now there probably you know there was maybe signs that something wasn't right um, underneath and um, I think what wasn't right was the fact that a lot of stuff that I found out about my childhood which I'll touch on a bit later when 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 I found out about it myself was hidden from me, which was a decision. And I think it was probably, probably the good decision, but I'm 51, 49% in favor of it being a good decision because obviously hiding a lot of details from someone and then telling them later on is tough. But um, I live my life. My friends know me. I'm a a, a bit of a smart ass and I like to joke around. I like to be silly. Um, I don't mind being the one that's, you know, picked on in the group and, and, you know, the, the clown or the one that people rip into because I could usually take it. Uh, yeah, I lived my life, you know, um, through Wesley pretty much pain-free. Um, what, what I thought was pain-free. Um, yeah. I certainly, maybe when I was a, maybe when I was in primary school, there might have been moments where I was not a normal kid, but as far as I can tell, looking back on, I, I went through it pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Um, so we will, we'll just touch on quickly, you know, what, what did you sort of do for work outside of high, after high school? Um, what was spotted sport look like for you? Because I do know that you're, um, pretty handy with a soccer ball. Um, mm. so we may as well talk a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. Um, I, Played soccer. Well, I've been playing soccer since I was about six. Um, when that was the first thing that my dad, Mark, got me involved with was soccer ball, and um, I've played every year since. Um, and I was playing out of out of school. And I was playing for Wesley. I was playing in the first for Wesley. Um, I was a captain the first for cricket, which was um, one of the biggest achievements I think accomplishments I've, I've gotten. Um, I really enjoyed that, and it was a great honour. Outside of school, um, I kind of, I went to uni, and um, but I was still playing soccer at a pretty high level, and um, I was playing for a club called Bentley Greens, which was um, in the National Premier League, and, and it was the first year of what's called the FFA Cup, which is a nationwide tournament, which includes the um, A League teams, and and so we got to the final four. I was you know only seventeen, uh, I was eighteen at the time. No, 19, I think. Um, and I was just a squad player. Um, but I got to get on the pitch and play in front of thousands of people. And um, and that was, you know, this was in the heart of my happiest years. Um, and that's what I really did. And I continued doing that and just worked a lot of part-time jobs. Um, you know, I was at uni trying to do it, but because soccer was so serious and I were kind of, I wasn't serious enough about it. And I think if I was serious enough about it and dedicated more of my time, I had um, some, an A-League club, their youth team come and talk to me, but I never really trained hard enough and, and was that committed. So I don't think I was going to get anywhere. And um, that's, that's the sport front. Um, yeah. 
Um, so everything going hunky dory um, through this period of your life. When did that? When did that change? Why did it change? Um, why did it change? Um, I know why it changed. Um, so I, in 2016 or 2015, 2016, lived at home with um, three of my mates and three of my closest mates and um, following our lease, our end of our lease, we, within about a week, we were on a plane for a four, four, four and a half month trip to Europe. And that's where it, uh, that's where it, it went all downhill for me, unfortunately. And um, just prior to that, we we'd found. I have. Well, I didn't mention this at the start. I have a sister, so um, yeah. My mum's side. My mum's um, daughter, but not the same biological father. And um, we got in touch with her, and um, we'd agreed to meet up with her. Um, which sounded. She, you know, she lived in Europe. Yeah, in, in Berlin at the time. Yeah, uh, still does, and. Um, you know, before leaving to Europe, everyone was buzzing about it. I was excited about it and um, I couldn't wait. And, you know, then went over, I was just pretty much having a boys' trip and was having the best weeks of my life, um, some of the best memories I, I had. And then um, about a week before, I was in Nice in, in France and um, my cousin from my non biological family was in Europe at the time. and. I just pulled him aside one night and said, oh, I don't think I can do this. Um, and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, this is my family. This is, this is, um, you know, you guys are my family. This is what I've been brought up on. And like you said, the people who raise you and that includes your families, your cousins, your aunties, your uncles, they, they're your family. And we had such a kind of, you know, we don't see each other very often, our family, but we are very close and, I just got cold feet a week before seeing my sister, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it all just happened the moment I met her. Um, yeah, I was in Berlin and she came to my um, my hostel and I remember seeing her and she's a spinning image of my mum, which was the first big shock. Um, yeah. And it was a lot, like, it was a lovely time. I, I, I'm, making that sound like it was a disaster. It was, it wasn't, it was a lovely time, but it was a very hard thing to deal with. Um, yeah. It, it wasn't something that was normal for me. Um, you know, I found out things about my mum, you know, found out that she was abused and, um, and all these sorts of stories and, um, found out as well that, you know, when my sister found out that, just my sister and my mum had a falling out. So I just, I, I, had let, I could talk for two hours about all the stories I heard, but just heard things that weren't great. Um, and they started sticking on my mind, to be honest. Um, yeah. How, how old, how much older is your sister than you? Uh, she's 42, I think. Um, so she's quite, she's much older. Um, yeah. She, and she's lovely and she's married and they're not having kids and, and she doesn't want to have kids purely from, because of the experience that she had. Um, she actually left my mum instead of my mum leaving her and, um, grew up with a different family and stuff like that. Um, and then when I was actually, when she was, my mum was pregnant with me, she actually mailed 
um, my sister saying, you've got a brother coming and, and that made her very upset and very angry. Cause she's like, you're going to do the same thing to this kid that you did to me. Um, yeah. Which, which she didn't, which I, I got to say, she didn't do that. Um, she tried to be the best mother she could. Um, but of course other things got in the way. And what really got me, um, was after seeing my mum, I went down to the South of Germany where I've actually got an auntie, a biological auntie. Um, so my mum's sister and, that's when I found out the, 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 what you touched on before about the suicide and I got a family tree. Drew, we drew one up one night and, and I think um, some crazy stories. Like um, she had, so my mum and her sister, so my auntie had another sister. She killed herself or took her own life. And, um, and then even on my dad's side, like my, my grandpa on my dad's side, cause my dad's Polish. Um, I found this not amusing, but almost like this is how bad suicide was in the family. He was actually captured by the SS in World War II and managed to escape from one of the camps and then escaped and then um, took his own life, his, his wife and his kid's life at the same time. And so it was, you know, just hearing these things. Um, yeah. It was just, it was a very tough thing to hear. Um, and yeah, so still to this, I hadn't really struggled and, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's what I've, I, I learned a lot of stuff. That, and that would have, I guess, probably answered a lot of questions as to where your mum's struggles came from. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I never really spoke about it. Um, with, you know, I like, I lived my life normally. Um, so and it absolutely then puts in ties with, um, where my struggles started coming in and, and it all kind of just, so that was towards the end of, I think it was about two thirds of the way through my trip with, with my mates. And, um, and this is where my, my biggest regret, um, in my life. And I'll take this, you know, I don't think I'll ever have a bigger regret ever is that I didn't get on the plane and go home straight away. Yeah. Um, and that I should have done that. I remember talking to my girlfriend and she said, don't do it. You don't want to do that. I remember talking to my girlfriend's best friend, Ruby and, and, she said, don't do it. You'll want to stay there. Even my dad said, don't do it. And that's the biggest thing that I will regret to the day I die um, is that I didn't go home because I jumped back in, met, met my mates in Spain and I wasn't the same guy. Um, I was confused. I was sad. I was upset. And then, you know, I told my mates that and, and they're all still my mates and, and there's certainly no hard feelings, but I told them and, and, you know, they, I told them I was really struggling and, and if I'm not myself, you know, I might lend a hand and they didn't really help me. And that's not their, and that's not their fault. They're on a trip to Europe. They're not there to babysit me. And there'd be nights where we'd be out and I would just disappear and just go home. Um, I remember in, in, in Edinburgh, I kicked out of a bar because, you know, I, I grabbed a bit, two beer bottles and just threw it against the wall because I was that just, I wasn't having fun. I wasn't being myself. And therefore I could tell my mates weren't kind of, they felt a bit uncomfortable around me and, and, you know, just everything was, I was just hating everything. I wanted to go home. I actually packed my bags one night and was on the way to the airport and my mate Todd came in and found me. And again, I still didn't go. I should have just gotten out of there as quickly as I could, but um, that's the start of the, the decline. That was how it all started. Yeah. And I guess you, you touched on it there, but, your mates probably just didn't know what to do. Absolutely. They didn't know how to help. They didn't know what was going to help. They probably thought what they were doing was helping. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my last day on my last day in Europe, um, I spent in in Belgium. Spent in 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 the room by myself. Refused to go out, and actually bumped into yeah. them. I was just going to Mac as quickly just to get something to eat, and actually bumped into them. And even bumping into them was so awkward. I just, you know, I I could have, I reckon I, I cried over thirty or forty, fifty times in those kind of four or five week period towards the end. I was just, I was just so sad and so upset at what was going on. And, and then when we got back from home from Europe, I then used that sadness against my friends and, and I told them that I didn't like how they treated me. And, and I actually ignored them pretty much. My, my best mates, um, the mates I've grown up with and lived at home with, I'd ignored them for, for months, absolutely months. I wouldn't yeah. go to, wouldn't go to, it was kind of still the year 21st. I wouldn't go to some 21st. I wouldn't go to, parties or wouldn't go to bars with them I just refused and and then I was I actually you know told them I was really angry and upset at the way they treated them and at the way they treated me and, and I know now that that's not the case but at the time that's that's what I said and, and um so I felt yeah it was it was hard well, on reflection do you think that the I guess the hurt and the anger and frustration you had towards them was um indirected that was towards not family as such, but what had happened and what yeah. you found out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I needed someone to point the blame at the reason why I was feeling what I was feeling. And I, I used my mates as, a, as an excuse. And I even used my dad to be like, Mark, my dad to an excuse saying, why'd you guys hide all this from me? And why'd you not tell me some of this stuff? And, um, you know, I still was okay. And it was, it was, uh, and then, I wasn't hanging around my, my soccer mate. Uh, sorry, I wasn't hanging around my, with my mates. I started hanging around my soccer mates, and and that's you know I've got some really good mates who I played or who I play or played soccer with, and um, they've been amazing, especially in the last you know six months to a year. But I was hanging around a lot of people, and through them, you're hanging out with other people, and that's when I started getting into to drugs, and and um, uh, that's. Uh, you know, I was spending a lot of time with my soccer mates and hanging out with them. And there were, some of them were really great guys. And, um, but I was, you know, now using them as like my new friendship group instead of hanging out with my normal mates. Um, cause I think I've always just wanted to be part of a group and be part of friends and stuff like that. Um, and so that's, that's the transition I took then. Yeah. So, so you've just you've just touched on drugs for the first time. Um, it, what I, what we've I've learned and what you've learned as well is that you know drugs is an adaptation, and it, it enables a feeling for something. So, and it hides other feelings. So, it was probably something that you're using to, I'm guessing, to hide the hurt and yeah, frustration was, and anger. Yeah, and I I, I was using cocaine. That's really the only drug that I was using. Um, I, we, so the thing is we used it. We, I took cocaine once in, in, in Europe with the guys, actually that same night that I was talking to my cousin saying I was scared. And I didn't have an issue after that. Like I wasn't addicted to it or craving it. And I didn't take drugs for probably six months later. Um, and exactly how you said it, it's, I didn't think about anything. I was enjoying the guys I was with some of my mates I was with, they weren't even, taking cocaine I was just some of them were some of them weren't um so no one was influencing me um and certainly no one knew what was going on inside but like you said as soon as I took it we were out having beers I was as happy as anything um 
completely masked any sort of insecurities that I had. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how it works. That, 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 that was, that was yeah. the, yeah, that was another start. So you had the, the stuff in uh, Europe and then you come back and once you sort of, you felt that feeling of being on cocaine, it, it kind of went from there. So what, what let's, before we, we divulge into that, let's sort of talk about Sonia a little bit um, and let's put a little bit. So Sonia is your girlfriend of, of eight years. Yeah, just uh, on eight years, yep. Which is quite, quite remarkable. It was eight years in isolation, wasn't it, the date? Yeah, it was um, yeah eight years of self-isolating with her, which has been <laughs> a long time. Like, why? Well, a third of my life um, has been with her, literally. Where did you meet her? How did how did uh, you manage to to reel her in? Oh, it's a funny one, actually. Um, well, my best mate at the time, um, I was trying to set him up with her when we were in school in year ten or whatever it was, and she was trying to set her up with him and. Um, never progressed for about six months. Um, and I actually moved campuses, school campuses and went from the St Kilda Road campus of Wesley to the Glenavely on where Sonia was. And, um, and, uh, yeah, we had French class together and our French class was only about four or five people in it. And we, we started just flirting a lot. And, um, I kind of turned around to my mate and said, Hey, because it would fallen out they'd broken it off kind of nothing really you know went from there but I just asked him I said would you be okay with this and he was fine with it and I asked him about five more times and um, yeah we, the rest is history really um, we, <laughs> we we spent a couple of years in school together and um, you know we don't live together um, we still certainly don't see each other much at the moment because of the isolation but um, yeah we still live with our own families and still going strong and, and yeah, absolutely. I have a lot to have, to be honest. And that's, uh, I kind of wanted to put that out there just to obviously give her a shout out because uh, she has to put up with you, but yeah. um, <laughs> also it, it does, it does also show like you, you had a lot going for you um, when things started to go pear shaped. So what, what started happening when you started taking drugs, I guess, more often uh, yeah, it was, and was it, was it just recreationally still? Yeah, it was. I don't think I really had an issue. I mean, there was one instance very soon after I started kind of taking drugs and this was the year of 2017. Um, I had a big bender sort of thing and, and was out until, you know, all my mates, soccer mates, the ones that the good guys that I hang out with, they'd all gone home. And I was now hanging out with people that I'd only just met and I was, out from Sunday midday till the Monday, 5 p.m. the next day. Um, yeah. You know, my dad was overseas and, and, um, and obviously that was the first sign that something wasn't right. Um, you know, Sonia, she was going to work. I don't know how. I, I just lied to her and said, obviously I'm not doing, doing drugs. And um, that was when I really started getting a bit worried and I actually went back to Europe um in what well, I told my dad I actually FaceTime my dad and told my dad face like bl- bluntly admitted to him I've been taking cocaine um so he flew me over to 
where he was and we went and saw my sister again. <laughs> um, because in this period that when I'd met my sister, come back and not see my mates and start hanging out with guys, my sister was sending me a lot of mess, um, messages, like a lot of text messages with love, with love hearts on them and just really yeah. uncomfortable messages that I'm like, well, I've only just met you for the first time and, you know, I don't feel like I have a sister. I'm not, and that's not any disrespect to her. I, I, she's fantastic and her husband's fantastic, but it was full on. Um, yeah. So that flew me over and, and we went and saw her just to have more of a kind of get to know each other sort of time instead of all the hard hitting shit that you get yeah. told the first time. And that was, that was that. But then I got home and, and to be honest, for the next two years, it was just recreationally the cocaine. Um, yeah. It was, it was, it was, I didn't think it was an issue. Um, I don't think it was an issue to be honest. Um, it certainly, obviously it was an issue in terms of that it's not the right thing to do. It was masking a lot of things, but it wasn't taking control of me. I don't think, um, but I'm not sure. Who knows? <laughs> um, and we, and we must say on that, that you're as, as I am, as, as all of us are, we're still works in progress and, you know, you haven't, you haven't got to the bottom of everything. Um, yeah. and you still are continually working through all this stuff. So we should put that out there to that uh, while this, we are coming to a, a happy ending. Um, it's not, it's not an ending. It's, it's, it's a, it's a middle of the road type incident. So things with drugs did get worse though. Yeah, yeah. Or, or life, life, life as such. Yeah. So this is, I come back from Europe 2017 and for the next kind of two years, um, for that, for that, the rest of 2017, I, I wasn't, I, I, I could looking back now reflecting was not being the same person. Um, I snapped at my best mate who we've now had a falling out with and, um, he was my best friend and, and, um, we were incredibly close and, look, he did some things that upset me, but I certainly reacted poorly to a bad situation and I snapped and lost my marbles at someone that was, his family are very, were very close to me. And, you know, I was just not being me. Um, yep. And I still was only taking drugs. It might've been once every week. It might've been once, once a month. It wasn't frequently. And that 2017 kind of came to an end. I lost my best mate by just being a dickhead myself. And, I was really kind of stuck and I got a job at Flight Centre, um, which is where it all went pear-shaped for me, unfortunately. Um, from, yeah, at Flight Centre, I, I, I was good at my job. Um, and when you're good at your job, you get, when it's a commission-based job, you, you get a fair bit of money from it. Um, and I just started, use, I started using more. I started, um, in this time as well, I'd also kicked up a gambling addiction. Um, so pretty much all my money. And I, I've been, I was lying to Sonia and, and telling her that I had savings on the side and an account with my dad while pretty much spending, going paycheck to paycheck, spending it on gambling, drinks, the occasional necessity, um, and then drugs when going out. And um, yeah, towards the end of 2018, um, it was getting bad. It was, I, I was now nicking money out of my dad's wallet. Um, I just joined another soccer club down in Geelong. Um, 
and a coach who's a good fr- family friend, or not family friend, a good friend of mine um, who coached me pr- previously. Um, he could tell something was going on, but didn't know quite what. And then I started, I started, you know, I'd go to training and, and, and spend all my money on drugs and gambling to the point that I didn't actually have any petrol to get home from Geelong. So I've been during training going into my teammates wallets and just trying to find 10, 20 bucks. And I got by with doing that for a while. 2018 went by and I, while doing some of these bad things, I was still kicking goals at my job. Um, I was the, in my first year at flights and I was number two in Victoria um, for first year consultants. I think I was number eight or 11, one of the two in the whole of Australia. Um, yeah. So I was killing it. Um, and I think because I was doing well at that, it kind of masked some issues um, because it seemed like, hey, he's, he's, he's really doing well at this job. I've been offered promotions. People rarely get promoted in their first year at Flight Centre. Um, and then it kind of, the first moment where it all came like open was in January of 2019. Um, me and Sonia were down at her holiday house in Blairgarry and my soccer, my soccer coach texted her and said, we need to have a chat. And um, she told me, oh, my mum needs to call me. So she went outside for 20 minutes. She pretty much came in and said, what's going on? And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, I, am, I was on the phone to Cootsie. What's happening? And he and some of the other guys and the captain and stuff at the club club had realised what was going on. And I'd, you know, um, been doing some dodgy things and um, asking them for, you know, large amounts of money um, and stuff like that. And I just kind of told her, I kind of told her, yeah, I've been doing a lot of gambling. I've been doing a lot of drugs. Um, just came open to her about it and yeah, that, that was the start of that, that year, 2019 coming open to Sonia about that. That was the first time she found out that I had no savings and, and then I've been lying to her for the best part of two years, two, three years. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously lying's not a great thing, um, at all, but in saying that you were doing it to keep, some kind of normality to your life. You didn't want to lose her as well. No. And I thought the moment that she found Sonia's fantastic. Sonia has her life planned to a T and, and, and she's very organized and knows what she wants and when she wants it. Um, and my thinking was if she finds out that I'm, that I've mucked up her last couple of years, I'm gone. Um, yep. so that is a pure reason that, and obviously shame and guilt and all these, other horrible emotions, which I found out a lot about during uh, my time at the clinic. Uh, but they were just, I just did not want to tell her under any circumstances. Um, I, I thought I was a dead man the moment she found out. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, she, she probably did want you to be a dead man for a little bit of that time. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't really know. I can't really remember probably something I have to ask her and, got to be an interesting one to have you do a podcast with her um, because, you know, I don't really know how she, how she felt. I don't really know how she reacted. Um, I just got in the promotion at Flight Centre. So, you know, we kind of had this optimistic view of it. All right, Nick, Nick everyone knows what Nick's deal is. Um, Sonia, unfortunately, told me not to tell, like, my best mate, Max, or, or some of the guys who I met. Over this period with, with my mates as well, I got to a point that 
I slowly started hanging out with them a bit more. Um, but, you know, I was never as close as I probably once was and they probably still aren't. You know, we've all got our own lives now, but, you know, we didn't want to tell anyone else and, um, yeah, then it certainly didn't get better. Yeah, it didn't. It got worse. It got worse. Um, quite, quite quickly. Yeah, I, I went through January to March. I think I went through for about 40 days of not doing any gambling, not doing any any drugs. Um, and then my grandma, uh, she died. Um, and that was the killer. That, that got to me. Um, I was very close to my grandma and I only think about it probably how close I am with her now reflecting back because, you know, I didn't have a mum. And, you know, the day she died in, in the home, I, I sat in the room with her, you know, a, a dead person. I sat in the room with a dead person for two hours and and I wouldn't leave. And, and I remember saying, like, just telling her how sorry I was because I, I, I knew that my dad was telling her little bits, didn't want to freak her out. but And she was yeah. so, so upset that this was happening to me and not upset as in, like, disappointed, just, like, so sad that this was happening to me and, and she didn't want this to happen to me. And, um. Yeah, that her, her death really got to me. Um, I, I, and then from then on, I fell off the wagon. Um, I was now taking drugs at work. Um, and I was taking drugs before going to Sonia's house. Um, I was taking. I went over to the, my, my mates. They moved out of house into a different house. I, I would take drugs with me to places with just the, the knowing that I'm not going to take it but i've got it here just in case i need it and yeah so it became a it became a, a tool to get get by yeah I, 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 social anxiety with my friends was now a big thing i couldn't hang out with my friends because i was upset about the way that i fell out with them and and stuff like that and and all that sort of things and i remember going to their house and, and picking up some drugs on the way and and i was doing really well i had a few beers and having a laugh and then something is i still remember it something small as just a little inside joke that wasn't that I had no idea what it was really got to me. And I started then taking drugs that night and Sonia actually caught me physically yeah. doing it. Um, and still to this, you know, still no one really realized what was going on. No one really thought like, what's going on here? Why is he, why is he, yeah. what's happening? I, I certainly wasn't going to be the one to pull my hand up and say, Hey, I've got a problem here. Um, but no one else was either. It was quite weird. Um, yeah. And I guess, I guess people probably just wanted to make sure that you're all right. Um, and people get, do get scared to get involved in people's lives because they don't want to be the one that has the outburst or happen to them. Yeah. I, 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 I just was a lost, a lost person. Um, I don't, I'd also just the, the two weeks after, um, my grandma died. I, I broke my ankle and, and ruptured some ligaments pretty badly, which kicked me out of the season for the whole year. So there goes 12 to four, 12 hours a week um, that you would usually play sport with um, gone. So I just had more time on my mind, more time to my thoughts. They weren't good thoughts. Um, and then dad went, while I was still at work, dad went to um, still working at flight center. And I was still, I, I would now was, um, doing dodgy things at work. I was making um, travel cards under people's names like Sonia, my mates, um, some family members. And then 
you don't actually need the money. You just, and because I would make a fair bit of commission, I could cover my tracks within a week or something. And so then I could take out $2,000 from the ATM within five seconds and go buy drugs and yep. cover my tracks. And I started not being able to cover my tracks. Um, but that's how bad it was getting. I was just, you know, um, I was just, you, yeah. Could, at, at the time, could you recognize that it was a problem or were you, yeah. were you still oblivious? You did know nah, it was a problem. No, nah, I knew it was a problem now. Um, but my way of, it's kind of the same thing. Like I don't want it to get caught out. I don't want to put my hand up or anything because now Sonia will leave me or now my dad will, you know, I'm too scared of the, and also I was actually terrified that I'd get like some sort of criminal charges against me. Um, I wasn't, you know, I was essentially stealing kind of from, from flight center. And um, I was embarrassed. I was, you know, there was so many rocky moments. There was a night where I just slept at work on the floor because I was so ashamed and I wasn't even taking drugs that night. Actually, I just was so ashamed and scared and disappointed of where my life was going. And, um, this ultimately led to, you know, the first, um, of four, uh, attempts, um, of suicide attempts, which is, you know, that's, that's when it really was starting to get an issue, I guess. And that's, so you, you talk, you t- you talk about that and you talk about the shame and the guilt and the fear of losing Sonia, your dad, your job, getting criminal record. The easiest option for you was just to take your own life in your, in your own mind. Yeah. I am. I, 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 um, it was June the 15th and, um, my mate Max, he came over and we watched it for about an hour. He finished work, came over for an hour. I was using, he probably didn't know. And then when he left, um, I took, um, and uh, I just called the, the ambulance and said, I think I'm dying. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I was kept on suicide watch for, and uh, you know, then dad called me 10 hours later cause he was at Melbourne airport. And I just said, I can't explain, but just come to Alfred hospital. Yeah. And still then after that, no one really, we, no, nothing had clicked. You know, I told Sonia obviously knew about it, but Sonia said, don't tell Max. And yeah. I just, I didn't, I didn't argue. I said, no, fair enough. I better not. Don't tell your mates that, I mean, that should have been the first, I mean, there was many signs, but that should have been the first big sign. Hey, um, something's not right here. So we, there's obviously more attempts and we won't go into detail about those, but what did the next couple of months look like? What, what was the, I guess, when was the moment you did start telling your friends? Um, when was the moment that, you know, you were suggested to go into the mental health clinic and, and, and what else happened at work? You know, when did they find out? So work, I was still covering my tracks. Um, there was, inquiries about it and I was able to kind of cover myself um, yeah. and this went up to about September and then so there'd been two more attempts in that time sorry that hadn't been um, I was just covering it I was, I was kicking, kicking goals I, I, in the meantime I'd want a trip to, to Vegas and the top 2% of people in flights in the, in, the, in the world get to go to it and I was I was kicking goals and then I was just taking out more money 
um, and taking more drugs. And then, um, yeah, I got a letter saying you have to come in and you've been suspended until further notice. And um, I had an interview and was still lying and covering my tracks. And, and in the meantime, I kind of told dad and he was paying off some of the stuff that I hadn't managed to pay off in time. And um, I'd also used his card number to pay off some things against his consent, um, without his consent. And um, we, we knew it was coming down and, and I then just kind of broke down in the middle of the interview with, with the, the head of flight center for my area. And, and I was lying, making up all these excuses, blah, 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 blah. And then just said, nah, okay, that's it. I can't do anymore. I just started crying and, and said, I've been, I've been taking drugs. I've been a nightmare since my grandma died. My life's been a horrible. I've tried to take my life once. Um, and he was really amazing. Um, and we still talk now. Um, he was very kind and, and they probably could have slapped me with some, some charges that, that with, you know, if they really wanted to, but, um, you know, obviously I lost my job and, and then, um, then I had my next attempt and that was when I told my friends and my family and, and what was going on, just really how bad it'd been. Um, yep. it was my best mate's birthday and, um, I, um, I messaged my best mate that we had a falling out with because in this time I've been trying my hardest to try to just catch up with him and he, there a lot of things happened there that I won't go into and, and um, I just messaged him pretty much a suicide note um, and then I stood, I stood at the train station at Gardenville and literally was walking forward and a lady just kind of, she could see that I was crying with her and she thought and so she kind of dropped when you're in that moment, you don't really know what's going on. And I don't really remember what happened. I remember her grabbing me and saying, are you okay? And I just ran, just ran off and just went home and cried and called dad and said, get home. And I told him I tried to, to do it again because I was pretty close. Um, yeah. And that's when we, it was time to tell friends and family. And um, that was the moment. I think it was September 22nd or something. I can't remember. But what, I mean, you said the, the, um, head of your work at flight center was really good. What was, what was family and friends like when they started to realize yeah, so, uh, what was happening? So I told, I told the same mates that I told in Europe, you know, three years earlier. Um, it was around the same time. I told them the next morning, um, I was yeah. scared shitless to tell them cause I knew what happened last time. Then I told them something that I was really struggling with. Um, and they all were at my house that night with pizzas and soft drink. And they were amazing. Um, they were really amazing. It was, um, it was, it was different with everyone. Um, it was hard with some people. I remember telling my girlfriend's sister, um, and her fiance, who, um, I think, you know, Simon, who's, um, was a great guy and telling him was fantastic. And he was amazing and has been amazing, but, you know, going over to her their apartment and telling Sonia's sister Jess, that was probably the hardest one because yep. first of all, she was in tears the whole time and to tell someone that, you know, someone that's dating your little sister is going through and going through all this and obviously I was worried as well. I thought now that Sonia's going to have to leave me and, and her parents, you know, they're gonna have to, they obviously, their number one priority is their daughter, not, not me and, um, if they believe that it's best fit that she shouldn't be with me, then, then 
they probably have to exercise that decision. Um, and they're and they're a pretty close family. They're an incredibly close family. Um, all, all great families are, to be honest. Um, but um, yeah, it was. You know, we didn't tell their cousins and and stuff like that. I just kind of told my closest friends. Um, my family, of course, um, and yeah, that's look. The, the whole process done with people was pretty good. Um, it yeah. was an exhausting kind of two weeks. It was a really nice two weeks because it was all out in the open. There was not one single kind of um, secret or thing hidden, um, which was which was a nice liberating feeling. But it certainly was exhausting. Fun. Did that give you the feeling that, you know, you could actually start working through it properly rather than continually going around in circles, drugs, gambling, stealing, drugs, gambling? Yeah, well, you could actually break that pattern a little bit. Yeah, but unfortunately I, I still was, I still started using drugs. I still was using drugs. Yeah. Um, and I, I only, only a couple of times just couldn't, couldn't break it really. And um, I, I got, Put in. I went to Alfred Hospital and stayed in their um, stayed in their voluntary um, mental health public hospital for three nights. I think it was. And my mates came quickly and, and, and saw me, and that was an experience. Um, it was an uh, interesting place, but um, you know, I came out. I still wasn't right. Like, yeah, I told everyone, but I was still irrational and erratic. And um, you know, my old boss from South Melbourne flight centre came to my house one night and almost tried to kill him um, just because I was just out. I was just, I was just not right in the head. There was other things going on and we didn't know what. It was just yeah. like the pain, the hurt, the suffering um, was still there, I think. Well, not yeah. There, I yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you hadn't, as, as we, we soon find out, you, you weren't handling it. Uh, no, I, I the internal shit. No, I, I um, I think what the final breaking point was was Max, my best mate, um, went over to his house. I nicked thirty dollars out of his wallet, like, just a stupidly small amount. Um, yeah. He, he called Sonia the, the next morning. and said we need to have a chat. Sonia came, told me. I admitted it, obviously, and then that's when I think I think Max told my dad or something, and um then my dad was the one that pushed me into the Victoria clinic, um, pushed the idea. And that's really the next step. Yeah. And, uh, how was it? And now I know the feeling for me when I, when I got dropped off there, how was the feeling for you when you got dropped off and you, I guess you, you said goodbye and you didn't know what that f- next period of time held. I think I ha- fortunately I'd, I'd I'd had that experience at the Alfred like two weeks earlier when I kind of went in, even though it was voluntary it was kind of against my will um, of that feeling. Um, my first my first day and night was was fine. Um, I, it was a bit weird, but um, you, you got a lot of things going through your mind. The, the one thing that was really nice was just knowing that okay I can't fully muck up in here like i i can't i can't go get drugs now i can't leave yep. and i mean yeah i could but like there is some restrictions now i mean i'm ultimately in a much safer place right now and that was a really nice yep. deal um yeah and I, I you know the second night i, I met 
uh, your Courtney, who's my agent and we're still very close. Um, you know, she's, she was in there the whole time I was there and obviously, you know, you know her as well. And, um, that was the start of it really. But yeah, first night was, was, yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would have been or as bad as it would be if you tell someone, uh, they've just gone to a hospital. Mm. Yeah, and I actually, I actually agree. It was, it was almost as you said. It was that relief that the things I was doing, I, I don't, I won't, I don't have the power to do them in here. Mm. And for me, I, and I guess this is probably this little bit similar for you. If you do those things, you know they're not going to let you back in. Yeah, and well, you, you, you don't want that. No. You want to be in there. No, well, it's the facilities there were fantastic, and and like you, you got. My my thinking of it was if I can't get help in here, then um, where am I going to get help? Um, because I, as much as there was a, a drug addiction, which there was, I, I'd now been diagnosed with um, borderline personality disorder um, and complex PTSD, which is essentially PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but from a childhood experience that doesn't hit you until much later or something brings up much later. So, you know, there, there was certain therapy that I needed with that and stuff like that. But my first couple of weeks, I, I still was before I met you, I still wasn't doing the right thing. I was, um, I couldn't take drugs, but I could gamble in there. Um, so I now started yeah, gambling. Yeah. Um, I was lying to a whole bunch of people to the point that to get money off them and stuff like that. And, um, and to the point that, uh, pretty much like one of the guys, I, the team that I played for for only those two rounds that season, um, a couple of them all messaged me like, what are you doing? We know what's going on. Um, and I kind of came clean to them, called the coach, came clean. In the meantime, I'd also, during that season, one of the games I went and saw, I actually went into the change rooms and Nick, I thought I'd take this to the grave, nicked, nicked someone's wallet, um, one of my teammates' wallets that had 400 bucks in it. So I took the wallet with me and I kept the wallet in a secret place for ages. And then he messaged me as well going, did you take it? I know you took it. And, um, and I contemplated lying to him. I still remember. I was like, and he's like, he's like, I know you did. I know you did. And I know he didn't know. And I just admitted. And cause I remember the feeling when, when, when they all saw that the wallet in the group chat, I remember the feeling when they all said, whoever's taking this is, you know, how could you do that? Blah, blah, blah. And I felt so bad about it. Um, yeah. But obviously there was other issues going on. It doesn't make it okay. But um, I just was doing things that aren't me. And um, so I admitted to him. I, I, fortunately, it was a Givenchy um, wallet, which was very expensive. And I kept the wallet. So my dad met up with him and, and paid him money and gave him the wallet. And you know, I haven't heard from him since. Um, but that's I was still doing those first couple of weeks. I was still, yeah. And then I finally just kind of, so you're going to ask the question, what made it change? I don't know. I don't know what made me decide to change. Well, do you think it was the fact that you're now in a plot? I mean, you were consistently doing things day in, day out that actually enabled you to start seeing a more positive adaption. So when I say adaption, drugs and gambling and alcoholics, and they're all adaptions to emotional needs that aren't met now in the clinic, you were learning about these emotions. You were exercising every morning and sometimes another time during the day. Um, do you think you were 
without knowing it, finding other adaptions to actually help these emotional needs that weren't met. And I can probably add to that each night we would, all of us would get together and play board games or watch TV or watch movies and stuff like that. Do you think that then replaced the gambling and the drugs? Yeah, actually, it's funny you say that about the board games and watching movies. It's just, instead of sitting in my room feeling miserable about myself, um, I kind of got over that hurdle. In, in, in this meantime, I, I'd also lied to my best mate about $2,000 and nicked 2000 bucks off him for a trip to Egypt that we were meant to go to that I never paid for. There was a girl who I um, know she personally gave me $4,000 because I said I'd book the tickets because I get a cheaper rate as a travel agent. So there were so many secrets that I was that, like these stories of nicking 400 bucks out of someone's wallet, getting someone to give me five grand or four and a half grand for her flights while I was a travel agent, all these secrets. And I just, I didn't come out with all of them at, at the same time. I kind of was just telling one by one. And it wasn't, I think until everything was on the table that I was kind of able to then go, well, all right, there's nothing else that's going to hurt someone or upset someone. And um, it was actually, and I haven't spoken to him yet. I think the only thing that definitely made me realize what to do is a guy I know, his name's Nick, and he played at the soccer club of the guy's wallet that I stole. And he was actually the person that first said, whoever's done this is a low life and stuff like that. But he said to me, I called him and told him how sorry I was. And he said to me, and I think this is probably what made me want to change. He said, if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your dad and your girlfriend. Yeah. And then when I started putting in and started being a nicer person and, and well, not a nicer person, started being a better person, um, working out and eating and being healthy, I wasn't seeing the positive effects on me. I was actually more seeing it on my dad and Sonia, but more yeah. importantly, my dad. Um, I think that's why I've been the turning point if I had to put a finger on it. It probably was, and I, I can concur with that because – you did speak very highly of both your dad and Sonia on numerous occasions. And it was when, without divulging too much into your your personal relationship with Sonia, but I could see when she, you knew she was upset that you were upset in the clinic. And that was, those are the times where I knew I just needed to listen to you because you needed to actually let it out because, um, it was affecting you. I mean, you do love to chat. Um, yeah. There's no doubt about that. So mm-hmm. I, when when you were happy, I was quite happy to cut you <laughs> off. Um, but when it was, uh, you know, your time to talk about, you know, the things that you're struggling with, you know, that was the time to listen to you and understand it and respect it. And like you could see how much both of them meant to you and you could see that was a clear driving force for why you are in there. Yeah, I, I think once I started, like, Dad was going to work and he was actually saying to people, instead of people coming up to him, because I, I actually worked with my dad, and so I know a lot of my dad's work colleagues, and they all know me purely through the way that my dad and my, my relationship. And he started saying, people coming up to me now saying, so, how, um, so how's Nick going? But they weren't asking it, like, in a sympathetic kind of, so how's he going, knowing that the response is going to be, oh, he's done this, he's, yeah, and it was now, so how's it going? And, and oh, he's doing really well. He's, yeah. And so um, I could tell it was giving my dad a lot of, a lot of happiness and 
that I was just trying yeah. my hardest, my absolute hardest. And there were hiccups while I was in there. There was even that after I met you and I started doing well, there were still some little hiccups. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, so there was a, there was a hiccup in the clinic um, where you gambled again. How many days did you go without gambling? Oh yeah, that's right. I did, didn't I? Um, it was about. It was about. Um, it was about. Oh, jeez. I was in there for seven weeks. First two weeks, I didn't. First two weeks, I was just an idiot. And I think I got about halfway through those next five weeks. About halfway through, I, I did. I can't remember the reason why, but um, something ticked. I think there was obviously a trigger, but. Um, I did gamble, but I certainly didn't take any drugs while I was in there. Um, and I've continued that. Um, you know, I'm a hundred and just checked on my phone before. I still know the date that I last took drugs and it's October 22nd. So that's 166 days that I haven't taken drugs. So I've been close. Fantastic. It's, uh, yes, you have been close, which we might touch on. Yeah. Um, what, you know, people will paint uh, – now, we were in a private hospital. We have private – we both had private health and or it's covered for if you can pay a huge amount of uh, money. Um, and I don't know the public system. I just heard, I haven't heard super things about it um, with, the mental, with the mental health side of things. But for, for, with the private clinic, like now that you, you've gone through it, uh, I guess, can you paint a picture for the people listening of how important it was and how good it actually was in there? Because people are quite scared and people think people are walking around and got they're strapped to their beds and stuff like that. Now, I oh know it, it was nothing like that. And without, we don't want to name names or um, name nurses or, or anything like that. But um, it was it was normal. They were normal people, weren't they, really? It was, you, you'd look, you had a, a few people that needed probably a little bit more care and um, you had to be a bit more just patient with them. Um, yeah. However, yeah, living life in there like was pretty good. Um, you had it, if you, I mean, you got out as much as you put in. And once I started putting in, I was going to all these classes. I was doing the exercise. I went in weighing 71 kilos and that's through a mixture of just stress taking lots of drugs, not eating healthy. I now weigh 78 and I came out weighing about 79. Um, I was eating, I mean, they cooked buffet lunches and dinners and and twice a week breakfasts. um, Yeah, the food food was actually really good. The food was fantastic. And and so um, (laughs) day-to-day life in there was was pretty good. If you had it, like like I said, I had Courtney, I had yourself um, and a few others that we got along with and, yeah, we had a little group there towards the end. Um, and it was, it was nice. And it wasn't a group where you start talking about, like I didn't really ever talk to Courtney or some of the other people about issues I had. I would only really talk to yourself, but we just had a group that we could hang out with. It was, it was nice. It was fun. Um, we had it was, it was. Yeah. It sucked towards the end having to share a room, but um, when you had your own room, it felt like a little hotel. Yeah, well, that we we should touch on that. I had a shared room the whole time. I had a pretty um, good roommate who struggled with a bit of anxiety. Um, he barely left the room, to be honest, um, apart from his sessions. But 
that was that was that was his fears and anxieties. Um, what what were the classes like that you went to? Um, speaking about some of those, uh, they were hard hitting. Um, I got pretty. I, I, there was a couple that I had to remove myself from, um, and to people who want to know what their kind of the class is like, it's it's kind of understand like understanding. But they were talking about detachment or disassociation or, you know, not having a close bond with parents. And for some people that might be my choice, but for me it wasn't. I just didn't have parents um, from my childhood. Um, And the ones I had were pretty much on their way to their their deathbed, as sad as it sounds. And um, that was hard for me to kind of think about. And I still don't like thinking about it. Um, I tried to do what I did for the first you know, from the ages of seven to 20, I tried to just think of myself as a normal kid, but you were hearing a lot of things that made you remember that you're not a normal kid and you haven't gone through, well, you've gone through something that not a lot of people have gone through. Um, and that's not saying that my story is better than, or my story is sadder than anyone else. So everyone's had some, had something crazy happen to them, I would say. And it was hard to kind of just come to terms with that. I think that yep. was the classes were like they were hard hitting, absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah, it had to be that way because you wanted to improve. And you, I, I, what I found, and you probably found the same towards the end as well, is when you put in the the nurses and therapists actually give give more to you. They actually have more time for you if you're actually putting in. Um, it, like if you're still struggling and putting in, they'll help you. If they can see that you're doing well, then they'll obviously drift away and let you be. They, yeah. that was that was that was my experience. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, so I think that's I think that's an important message for everyone. If they're going to go, you've got just you've got to put in. You've got to put yourself in those uncomfortable positions as much as you, you can. Um, and I think you did that. Yeah, there was. A I think most most of us did it. Yeah, there was a couple of nurses that, like, they would tell, tell, call, like, let my dad know and let my Sonia know who's actually doing really well here. Um, and like you said, yeah. I, I, towards the end of it, and obviously you had a psychiatrist, a private psychiatrist, and I had her name's Barbara, Polish Barbara. Um, I don't know how to spell her last name because it's a million letters long, but she didn't take shit. Um, so she yeah. my, she took my phone off me. Um, she had strict restrictions. Strict, restrictions on what I could do and can't do. Um, I could only have my phone at the nurse's desk if I needed to text out or something like that. Um, and she didn't take a bar of it. Um, she was fantastic. And I started coming to, like you said, with the, the nurses, and stuff, I started thinking in my head, well, these people, like, yeah, it's their job and they get paid to do it, but they are putting so much time and effort into trying to help rehabilitate your, your, your mental health and, and you as a person. And like you said, you can still try your hardest but struggle and that's fine. But to not try and give a damn at all is just wasting their time. And they're still going to get paid at the end of the day, but you could tell that they actually cared, genuinely cared. And that's not, that's not because there's a paycheck coming every fortnight. That's because they genuinely want to see you get better. Um, yep. And I, once I started thinking about that, I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing this now for myself. I'm doing this for all the other people that are putting the time and effort when they don't have to. No one has to. You know, my dad doesn't have to. But, 
No, he, him, Sonia, um, and your closest friends, they could have easily dropped off. Yeah, I think Dad was we, incredibly and, close too. Yeah. Um, all the frustration, he would have been hurt and frustrated. Yeah, um, he's told me on many occasions, he, uh, he told me on many occasions, I, I'm going to have to let you go if it keeps going like this. Um, yeah. I know Sonia never really said that, but obviously the same same sort of thing would have been with her. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and you, I mean, you two did have your struggles through this process, um, but ultimately she has stood by you. Yeah, she has. And, and look, it's, it was back going back to September when it all came out. It was, it was quite interesting with Sonia. Um, and you know, I'm not going to shame her or anything like that, but um, her reaction to it all was quite, Quite amazing. That's why I said to be if she had an hour to talk about it, you should speak to her about it because I'd love to hear yeah. her side of things. Because from my my perspective, and certainly even her family's perspective, and you know her sister and and Simon, everyone was saying it's almost like she's not there. Um, we tell her how you feeling, and she says nothing. And like her mum actually texted my dad physically saying we you know, we can't get through to her. We don't know what she thinks or what she feels, um, which was very tough for me because um, it was almost like I didn't think she really at the start, and I certainly I've said this to her, so I've got no shame saying it now, that she didn't quite get what was going on. Um, I don't yeah. think she really, and hell, there's no, I wouldn't have known how to deal with it myself, so it's not her fault. Um, but there was so many other people saying, well, you know, she won't talk to us. She won't, she's just kind of, very blase about it. It's just, and it was very hard. Yeah. You know yourself, it's very hard for people around you sometimes. It is. Yeah, it is. I think it's really important that you, you can acknowledge that. And yeah, I mean, you have right throughout that, you know, you, you did it for them because you didn't want to see them hurt. You didn't want to see them struggle. You didn't want to see the pain because the, they do see you suffer. They see, they see it and can feel it more than you can. Um, a lot of the time because they don't have control. When you don't have control, it um is, is it's actually harder. Mm. So, and you, I guess you didn't have a lot of control last year. Um, but once you started going to taking the steps in hospital, you actually started to gain control. Mm. What? So you went, you you got out. What date did you get out of hospital the first time? December fourth, I think. December fourth. Oh, yeah, so we're only in there. We're only in there for about 10, 12 days together. Yeah, I mean, uh, I might have been no, actually like December 10th or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. It was seven weeks yeah, from about October 28th or something. Yeah. Yeah, so we're doing about December 10th. Yeah. Um, then you, you went back in uh, in January 4th, three weeks? Four weeks. So I went back in January um, when, I, when I left, um, and that was completely – my decision um there's a special course on um dialectical behavior therapy um which is normally a one-year course that you do through the outpatient dbt DBT. um but they introduced it as a four-week inpatient course um and barbara my psychiatrist recommended it because it's a way of knowing how to handle your emotions deal with your emotions and and she said now that you've tackled probably the hardest hurdle you can what's a really good idea to do this so i went in with absolutely open arms except for about a week beforehand. I, 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 um, 
I had some real struggles, um, which you know <laughs> you're you're heavily included in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so we will t- we will touch on that at some stage mm. soon, very shortly. Um, so what 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 is DBT? Is how you've touched on what DBT is? Is it is it just classes? Is it just more classes, basically? So the difference, more... yeah, the difference between that this time was you had to go to the classes. So every day, yep. pretty much from nine till two, there was different classes on, and you had to go through. Um, you had no choice. Whereas when we were in the together the first time, you can pick and choose how much you want to or how little you want to go. So yep. that's what that was, and there was only and Courtney, the, the girl I met the first time, she was doing it as well. So it was really good going in knowing that she was going to be there and we did the whole thing together. We spent pretty much all of our day during the daytime together. So it was pretty easy. Um, the first two weeks went real slow. And the last two weeks flew by. Um, it was good. It was, yeah. you know, I, I learned some things. I learned ways to handle my emotions when I'm feeling stressed, disappointed, sad, angry, how to deal with things. And, and that's really what it is kind of, um, you know, people who don't suffer from mental health, I think, should do it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you. I actually think understanding um, your own emotions, no matter what your struggles are, um, is it's something you probably should learn in school, to be honest. Yeah, um, it was amazing. It really was. Um, so in this last few months, um is obviously going to be lapses. There's going to be points where you go, even if you don't realize it, what's the point, all of that. What are a couple of those situations that might have come up and how have you managed to, I mean, get, ultimately get past it because you, you are, you have got past it. Um, or you've got past those moments. Yeah, so as I said before, I'm, I'm 166 days clean. Um there's really only been two instances um, yep. where I've really struggled. I don't actually know how many days it's been not gambling. I haven't checked, but um, it's more the drugs that I'm concerned about. And uh, I don't know how I got past. I think it was just, um, I think it was just, there's a party that hasn't done it for such a long time that it doesn't, it's like muscle memory. It's almost like it doesn't, you don't go to that next stage as you know, personally, um, I got very close because, um, I'd arranged to meet someone up. I had no money for it. I hoaxed you into giving me some money for it. Um, yep. And then I just pulled out the last second, just went, nah. Yeah. Um, and then the same thing happened again the next night. Um, I kept your money and <laughs> did it again. And, then I said, no, I don't know why, but I'm thankful. Yeah, very, very thankful. Um, and I will touch on that because you were shitting yourself that I wouldn't be friends with you again, basically. Um, I'm more than shitting and myself, dad. mate. I was I, I, to the point that I, I came clean to every single person that I'd fucked over and, and some of those people I, I've lost and some people probably not going to be the same just friends with me, but I could not come to terms with telling you Um because I, I think I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I think that's what ultimately stopped me from doing it when I organized to yeah. get the drugs is that I've actually done it to, to you. And, um, yeah, I was crapping myself. <laughs> yeah. I think, but, yeah. And I think Alicia and I were sitting here and 
like we after after about a week we'd realized what what had happened we knew but I, I and I said to her look I'm not worried about the money I just I just want him to be okay um and that, that ultimately it 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 did mean that I never was never going to lend you money again yeah. I learned from that but at the same time I give everyone a chance and um I said to Alicia, I, I don't care about the money as long as he's okay. And when I got the message from you, basically apologising, I was like, it's honestly fine. Your dad contacted me um, and he sorted out the payment. Now, I guess the reason I want to, want to do that, and you spoke about owing people money, stealing and stuff like that, but basically with your dad's help, you now paid all, paying it all back yeah. on the way. Yeah, most of, so the, the big one was obviously Flight Centre, even though they terminated my contract they they there was about seven thousand dollars owed yeah um and so that's obviously there's a payment plan that the company agreed to come on to agreed with me um and i don't know how many people will be listening on this but there are some people that might listen to this that i haven't paid back yet and that's just a slow slowly slowly process that me and my dad are going through um yeah but um yeah, with, with his help and, and um, we were able to, you know, especially the, the big ones and um, we were able to get them out of the way and uh, that's kind of just what we're doing now. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that, so, and this, and I guess so people go, oh, he's done all this, it's it's, it's all over, he's, he's moving on. It's, it's not, you're still going through um, paying people back, you're still working through your challenges and, um yeah, it's not it's not the end of the road, so to speak. No, it's not, and and I'm certainly only halfway to where I wanted to, to be, but um, to where I want to get to. But I certainly would have would never have thought on that first night that I went into the Victoria Clinic that I'd be where I am now. Um, just in terms of my general happiness, um, back at uni, um, doing something that I think I'm going to be so passionate about. Because I have gotten, as I, I hit rock bottom. I hit as as low as it could get, um, and to think that that was less than six months ago um, is almost unbearable, like unbelievable. Yeah, and it, I guess would you agree that that comes from you finally taking control of of what you want to follow. Um, and that is happiness ultimately. I've got, yeah, I've got direction. I've got somewhere I want to go. I've got still got people in my life that, that are important to me, and and I've heard a lot of people on the way, and I've upset a lot of people, and I've lost some people, um, and that's what gets me from time to time. You know, I, I you know, you're always going to feel guilty about the, the way that you handled things and the way that you acted towards people. But um, yeah. You know, I just, I'm just gonna gotta move past that. You know, when I was in the clinic, my best mate changed my Facebook password, so I couldn't read all the messages of people that were upset at me for what I did, and I just focused on myself. And I only just got my Facebook back for well, two weeks ago, so I didn't have my Facebook yep. for four months, um, and just was just focused solely on myself and what I can do to be a better person, um. And that's just what I'm kind of trying to do now, day by day. Um, what 
you, you said right from you said from early on that you would as soon as you found out I had a podcast, you said you wanted to help other people and share your story. And I mean, why are you so now passionate about that? I, I to be completely honest, because of you, when I met you, you uh, completely motivated me. I couldn't believe, you know, someone that's herself going through tough times and have have gone through tough times. You're so committed to wanting to create awareness and 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 create a voice. And I, you know, noticed that with your cricket match that you were organising, and I couldn't believe all the stuff that you're doing. I found out you had a podcast, and I was like, this is a bloke that's going through something himself, but he's dedicating a lot of his time to trying to help others and. That's they're, they're the, that's the way I was brought up as a kid. When I was young, I used to do charity. I used to save all my pocket money and put 20% of my pocket money into a separate jar, take it to the Royal Children's Hospital every couple of months. I used to run charity events at primary school. I used to be such a caring person. And these are the, the morals that you've grown up on. And this is certainly how my family was raised. And, you know, my grandparents were raised. And um, they, they didn't disappear. They just got lost somewhere for a while. And, um, I started realizing when I started being a better person that these, these are the things that I want to do. Um, that's why I want to go back to uni and study social work. Um, yep. So that's really the reason why. And I know, you know, I know some people as well that not going through as tough times as I am, but going through something and, you know, I never want anyone to go through what I went through. Um, yep. Whether it be my best friend, my girlfriend, one of my mates or just someone I know through association, I would never want someone to do all the bad things to people that I've done and hit as low as I did. And because, you know, a couple of seconds either side of some bad decisions, it could have all been gone. Um, and that's yeah. the ultimate reality. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head there as well with, you know, helping individuals with their life will then help the people around them. Now, like, cause I, I watched the Ben Cousins documentary the other night. Um, I don't know if you watched it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, that was hard. And the amount of, yeah, and the amount, of, and he's clearly not, oh, well, I, I won't even share my opinion on it because I don't think it matters. But I think for me, it was like I watched it going because there was a lot of judgment towards him through social media and all of that, which I can understand, I get. Um, but I was like, this isn't about helping Ben. This is about helping the people around Ben. And I think that's what you tried to, you're trying to say is that by you being a social worker, by you sharing your story, you are ultimately helping the individual learn and improve themselves. But that in essence creates a ripple effect. And that's, that's the stuff that matters. Cause you know, you would agree that, you know, you don't want to put your son or your dad through this. No. Um, so you don't want other people to do that to their family as well. Yeah. So ultimately, and I don't want to put myself through it again. Um, it was a mate. Like I, I don't know how I managed to keep working and doing. Well, I mean, I know I kept working. I was taking drugs while working, but um, the amount of stress, the amount of lies, the amount of hiding things, the amount of you know, just the simple things like now I can let someone touch my phone and I'm not worried about who's going to message me saying that we know what you're doing or um, if I get a notification from um, a drug dealer or something like that, like I can just the freedom of, I remember going into the shops with Sonia once, uh, Chadston. Like I would have, like she, Sonia loves her shopping and 
um, loves clothes and stuff. And she would always ask me, oh, why don't you buy this? Why didn't you buy that? And I just, I, I would go everywhere with my friends and family and not take my wallet and pretend I lost my wallet. And now I could go into the shop yep. with Sonia and she says, oh, this looks nice. But we both know that at the moment I can't buy that and that's okay. And I wouldn't have to yep. lie about yep. the fact that I don't want that shirt or I don't want to buy this. And just all these little things that I wasn't able to do. Um, I don't know how I put myself through it. So would so would you say by being open and honest and vulnerable has allowed you for like freedom? Yeah, I mean, it's it's I don't have to worry about what does Sonia not know, um, or what does Max know that Sonia doesn't know, what does Simon and Jess know that Sonia doesn't know. Like, um, I don't have to worry about that anymore, and I can just kind of continue trying to be the better person that I want to be. So. In closing, so let's, we'll, call, we'll wrap this up in the next couple of minutes. In closing, what what would your advice be to someone that might be going through what you're got, you you went through were going through with the addiction type behaviour? And and when I say addiction, it's an adaptation to something that's missing in your life, um, something that you feel you're missing, and that for some people will, might be a shopping addiction, that might be. Um, a sex addiction that can look anything. And that's why I hate when people will say drugs or gambling is worse than other things because they're all adaptions. Now, people adapt different ways. So, yes, it's wrong. I'm not discrediting that. No, I won't say it's wrong. It's unhelpful. <clears throat> but what advice would you give to people going through it? I think, I think you talk about being vulnerable and being powerless and I think, that's the first kind of, and it's an uncomfortable step, especially for, for blokes. And I'm not saying it's a more of a guy's thing, but especially for blokes, no one, guys don't like feeling like they got no power or being vulnerable. I think you've just got to lay your cards out and get it all out. And like I said, in that two week period where I kind of back in September, when I first told my friends and stuff, especially even though I was still doing some wrong things, a really liberating sort of feeling. Yeah. Being honest. Um, I think you just need to just take that. It's like jumping off a bridge, um, like taking that, not jumping off a bridge in a bad way, but, you know, taking that leap. Um, into a pool. Into a pool, yeah. Um, you've just got to kind of get it out there, be vulnerable. Um, and once you are, it just kind of, I, I personally think it just, things, I'm not a believer that things happen for a reason, but things just kind of flow and they start just working out. Cause it all just worked out yeah. in, in the clinic, like in the space of about two weeks, it just kind of things started clicking. I was being honest. I was now enjoying myself. I was working out, I was eating, I was playing puzzles. I was sleeping well. Things just started yeah. working. There was no magic cure. There's yeah. no button. There, and there isn't, there isn't a magic cure. Um, there isn't a button and we all, we all wish there was, hmm. but, um, Absolutely. Be a lot I guess in, in, in 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 uh, closing, last question: What what is, is there anything else you'd like to add, and what's your plans for the future? There's nothing. There's a million little um, little stories in between the kind of whole, especially last three, four years, but the whole period. But yeah, um, going forward. Um, I'm just like, as, as you saw yesterday, I spent my whole day yesterday doing trick shots and, and posting them on Instagram. And and yesterday was a really fun day for me. I was just kind of, even though I was stuck in isolation and 
I actually think <laughs> without <clears throat> enjoying other people's uh, misery, I think this um, this kind of the perfect time for me, this COVID thing, because yep. I'm stu- I'm stuck inside. I can't really go out and do much. I don't have to worry about social anxiety. I don't have to worry about like, I'm missing out and getting beers with the guys or anything like that. I'm just finding my own ways to stay amused and entertained, and um, that's what I'm doing for the, the short term. And in the long term, I want to I want to continue my studies and and help people and use some of the things that I've learned along the way through, whether it be experience or learning to help anyone um, live. I, they call it in the hospital, live a life worth living. And that's certainly what I'm doing now. I was, wasn't doing it for the last three or four years. Though. Well, I will, uh, I'll say this because this is the first recording I've done on this new program. So after I stop recording, stay on the line. Cause I just want to make sure it all uploads because <laughs> What you've what you've said and you shared is probably going to help more people than we'll both ever realise. Um, there'll be people that, when this gets released, I'm sure will go fuck. That's me, and might reach out or, oh shit, my friend can get through that. Now I think that's probably where it's going to hit a lot more. Um, is that someone that might know a family member or friend going through it will go, oh, I'm seeing those signs. All right, I'm going to reach out and see if they need help and. Go, go from there. So um, thank you for sharing your story, Nick. And if anyone that is listening does have anything um, to they want to pass on, um, send me an email. Uh, my email will come up in the outro. Thanks, Nick. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13 1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V I T A L I T Y F I T T.com.au.